CES Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. I feel it in my I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor, Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. What's up? Uh, welcome back. To the Barton and Bud Show. This is our, our first post-game weekend edition, post like ball. Like we're, we're this is a recap episode, I guess. Effectively, this is a recap episode. So this is exciting uh, for the YouTube viewers. You got me in the kitchen. It's late at night. It's a Sunday. The kids are sleeping. Um, Bud, you are in your you're safely in your home office, um, but. Here we are, man. We made it. Football happened. And by the way, like not long before we recorded this, like the the whispers of Big Ten, Big Ten's return to action are starting to starting to, to pick up as well. So uh, who knows? Who knows what's Ooh. to come for next weekend? Oh wow! I, if if that's happening like the last half an hour, uh, that that I've I missed it. I I, I had uh, had dad duty because my wife was taking a shower. She's like, I need you to watch the kid. He's he's got a little ear infection right now, so uh, that's dude, that's great. Like if if we get the Big Ten back, uh, that they almost kind of had like a training camp holdout, basically. That's right. You yeah. know. <laughs> so, oh man, we're so this is not really a, a it's a recap episode, but it's more of like a what we learned episode because it's coming out on Monday mornings, and we want to kind of spin it forward for the for the upcoming week and and the rest of the season, not just hey they did this, but like. Okay, this happened. That it means you know this or that, which I think is something that we we normally try to do anyway. Um, you know, what did you learn from this kind of stuff? And we'll just kind of banter back and forth for forty or fifty minutes or however long we go here. Maybe we'll remember to put an ad break, and uh, then we'll hit stop. So, Bart, why don't you go ahead and kick us off here? Just where where, where do you want to go? And, and let's let's just shoot the stuff. Okay. All right. Um, so my, we, we were talking a little bit, one of the games that I, I dialed into, uh, the most was, was probably the Duke, uh, Notre Dame game. Uh, watched, watched a good bit of that. And I, th- I thought like, as I left the game, I, I want to ask, I'm going to throw this to you. All right. Here's my question for you. Kyron Williams is going to be the best Notre Dame running back since blank oh so here here's here's the and, and let me phrase it a different way um is kyron williams the best running back since audrey denson 
Like it's and, and Audrey Denson and I mean, look, they've actually had guys drafted higher than Audrey Denson was like a seventh rounder, but I think he's their all-time leading rusher. But like the guys that have been drafted high for Notre Dame have been sort of these like speedy kind of guys, you know, used to be a wide receiver, you know, didn't play Darryl a junior type. year. Yeah. Like, you know, like these guys that are just sort of, they, they weren't really this complete package running back and didn't have this, this sort of pro, uh, prolific long career running the football. And so I don't like this is, and I actually name drop here. I actually texted Brady Quinn. And I was like, and I asked him this question and, and he was like, I need to see more than first week, but you know, they, they seem to really like Chris Tyree over there too. And so, um, you know, and, and, and so Brady sort of my, my, um, um, my, he polices me on, on, uh, uh my, my hot takes sometimes. So I tried to make sure like it wasn't too hot and he knows Notre Dame better than anybody. And so he, you know, he, he wasn't ready to go there yet, but, I I think the Kyron Williams is really good. I think like I think that when I look at Notre Dame offensively, that run game is I mean it's got to be the thing. It's got to be the deal because Ian Book remains above average, and that's it. You know, good, not great. Uh, the offensive line is good. The tight ends are good, but when you get outside the frame of that offense to the, the perimeter, like there's just not much there. And so that run game's got to be it. And Kyron Williams, like to me, his, his versatility, he ran hard. He was, uh, he was effective. He was explosive, dynamic. Like I thought he showed, a, I, th- I thought he showed more than I feel like I've seen out of a Notre Dame running back in a long time. So I, I need, you know, let me know if I just need to just sort of chill out on the week one stuff there. But I liked what I saw. Part of this is just when is the last time Notre Dame had a really elite running back? Like, like so the, the bar is high, but it's not uh, unclearably high. I'm not even sure unclearably is a word here. It's late. It's late. Yeah, <laughs> unclearably. We're already like we in our conversation before we started this and like already like, you know, five minutes into this thing, I already can't find my words either. So this is, this is we're, we're getting our bearings here. So um, I think Kyra Williams, I, I, I like his style, right? He's got a little bit of a slasher to him, but he, but he's not, he's not a small guy. He's, he's got some power in, in, in the game. I think he fits what Notre Dame wants to do very well. Like that offensive line, they have it. They, they can play some bully ball, man. I'm, I'm, I'm in on that. Um, now, I'm going to throw it back at you. Given how well they were running the ball and given how Duke was trying to stop that and they weren't doing a great job of stopping it, I mean, Notre Dame had 4.9 per carry if you take the sacks out. And that's and they, they could pretty much get that largely whenever they wanted. How worried are you if you're one of those people who thinks Notre Dame could take the next step or next step that they did not have a receiver have a catch of over 20 yards? I'm worried. Oh, for sure. I, I like th- like I took a positive spin on Notre Dame, and you are you are coming back at me with the like in your face like this is the problem, and it is a problem. I think Notre Dame right now is I, I, a. I mean, like I said, like I think here's the thing: like Ian Book is what Ian Book is. He's just he, he's been this for three years now, basically. Like it's just you know he's got he, he could maybe. He's inched maybe closer towards that ceiling, but like he is banging his head on the Ian Book ceiling right now. And he he doesn't have Miles Boykin, Chase Claypool, 
And those guys, when they were there, weren't even like that. Like we didn't even really realize how good they were. I don't think. I mean, how talented right. they were. Like the it didn't the offense didn't feature them in a way that that I think necessarily separated them as as elite receivers. And so now he doesn't really even have any of those people. And so I do think that that's a concern only if you're looking at Notre Dame in the lens of can they play in the college football playoffs? Can they compete with these teams who they're just, I mean, they're just so hungry to try to be able to compete with. I think that there's, I think that front seven, they're great. I think inside the box on offense, they're great. But I, I think aside from Kyle Hamilton, all of their perimeter athletes are, are, are not up to the, uh, to the bar, to the necessary bar of Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, Clemson, um, those playoff caliber teams. I, I I think I agree, man. Like looking at, at at Notre Dame, if you're a Georgia, if you're a Bama, a Clemson, you you go into that game if you have to face them in round one of the playoffs, thinking we can play single high on these guys, just fine, right? And mm-hmm. and we're we're going to take away a lot of the short stuff, and by that time, Kyron Williams is going to be a superstar, and they're going to say, okay, we're gonna, we can put eight in the box on these dudes. No problem, because we we know we can handle them outside without getting torched. We might give up a couple, but through one game, and it's just one game, but they didn't seem like they had difference makers on the outside. Uh, by the way, before we go go to a different game, can I can we shout out David Cutcliffe and Chase Bryce just for getting like Duke's offense and Duke's passing game because we did talk about it on the pod back to a level of let's just say competence like they're not a good passing team but last year they just couldn't throw the ball at all on Saturday like they were okay like they just it wasn't a huge liability through the air like it was last year I I I was going to write a column this week this past week on the Clemson transfer quarterback and you know the the runner-up to Trevor Lawrence and Deshaun Watson and how those guys go somewhere else and realize, you know, it's a different world when you're not playing with those Clemson wide receivers. And kind of the week got away from me, and I didn't get a chance to really write it because it was. I mean, basically, it's, it's Hunter Johnson and and Kelly Bryant are sort of the two case studies that you're talking about, like guys that were starters or starter quality at least, uh, theoretically. Kelly Bryant certainly, but Hunter Johnson that was that was a theory. And they transferred to Northwestern and Missouri. Kelly Bryant deals with injuries, but no, just doesn't have a great, doesn't have the the, the season or, or the the um, the run at Missouri that he envisioned. Hunter Johnson certainly down the run at Northwestern he envisioned, and so you're sitting there being like, well, yeah, like it's a little different when you don't have T. Higgins and Justin Ross and all these guys in their perimeter. So Chase Bryce goes to Duke, where he's got nobody on the outside, and it's, it's and I guess we did talk about this a little bit, but he. To me, like he he acquitted himself very well. Like I thought he looked, he like Jim Nagy talking about him being on the you know near the top of the board in the Senior Bowl stuff. Like I kind of buy it now. I didn't really know what to make of all that, but I kind of yeah. Like week one against a defense like Notre Dame, I, I it wasn't perfect, but I thought it was pretty good. All right, let's go ahead and, and switch uh, switch from that game. Let, let's stay in the center of the country. You wanted to know, is, is Matt Campbell a next-level guy, or is he just a guy that we occasionally get excited about? And is, can, Matt can, Campbell, is, is Matt Campbell Ian Book? 
Is, oh. is Matt Campbell the Ian book of coaches? Just good. Man, this is good. I God, I kind of feel like I feel like he's better, but yet uh, how many of these openers is he going to lose? I mean, you you can't do this at a major program and and lose, you know, lose openers as as a double digit favorite routinely. Um what surprised me about this one and looking back at it, you know, Louisiana, and I'm going to call them by, by the right name since they went and got this upset. Yeah, hell yeah, they deserve that. Billy Napier's guys, man, they they actually outgained Iowa State per play. They they were more explosive. Like Louisiana was more explosive than Iowa State was. And going into this game, my questions were all: Could could Iowa State run the ball? Because last year their run game was was pretty poor. And I thought the way Louisiana played it was interesting. They kind of let Iowa State run a little bit. But they completely shut down the Iowa State passing game. I went back and looked through his entire career. Purdy has never had a quarterback rating anywhere close to what he had. I think he was in like like the high seventies or low eighties. I mean, in, in in the college game, that's hard to do, dude. Like his receivers didn't really help him out, but and his offensive line allowed more pressure than I think he probably thought he was going to face against Louisiana. Credit to Louisiana, dude. I I picked them to win to win their league and, and finally beat app and get over the hump this year. And right now I'm feeling pretty good about that prediction. I, I think you need to join me on that. Or did you already have them? Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm, okay. I'm on Louisiana. Yeah. Do How much do we downgrade Iowa state though, too? Like, there's, there's two sides of this coin. Well, unfortunately to answer your initial question, I think, I think that this is sort of just what they do. Like, are you, are you going to be surprised and they go beat Oklahoma later in the year? Not really. No. Yeah. It, Are you going to be shocked if they beat Texas? No. No. You're not. I'll tell you right now, you're not. Because they're going to they're gonna go ahead and they're going to win some close games between now and then. I don't know when they play Texas. But this, is, this, will, this will not be as fresh in your mind. We'll be going in. They'll be, I don't know, 12-point dogs or something. Maybe eight-point dogs. And they'll, and they'll be on your card for Moneyline Sprinkle. And I, I'm just like, this is just what they do. And which, is, which goes back to the point is like, <clears throat> Matt Campbell is a good coach. Like this doesn't render that theory moot. Like he loses to another good coach and another good uh, group of five program. Doesn't make him suddenly a bad coach that he is making Iowa state a consistent eight win, seven win program is, is, is good. But I do think that that's a pretty, that's a pretty clear indicator to me, given that they almost lost to Northern Iowa last year. I mean, should have really that this is, this might just be who Matt Campbell is a good coach. He's going to like, maybe like, like a Kirk Ferentz, basically. I mean, he may be at Matt Campbell might be Kirk, the, the Kirk Ferentz of Iowa state. He might be there for 25 years <clears throat> and he's constantly between, you know, seven and five and occasionally gets to 10 and two on like the really good years. Um, so, so he's like a younger Jim Grobe. A younger Jim Grobe. I mean, is I feel like like he he took Wake Forest to bowl games. They did win the ACC one time back in like 2006, 2007, whatever year that was. Like people eventually stopped appreciating him, but then they realized how damn hard it is to go to bowl games consistently at Wake. Like Iowa State is a very tough job. Uh, they he's so much better trajectory wise than anybody uh, that Iowa State has had coaching them in a long time, yeah. which is one of the reasons why. He gets so much credit. People are like, "What? Why is he immediate, darling?" I'm like, "Have you been to Iowa State? 
Like, have you seen the record of all the coaches that have been at Iowa State before him? It, it's not like he got Iowa State to change their recruit their rules on, on who they could recruit or open a satellite campus in Tampa or something like that. I mean, dude, like it is what he does overall is pretty impressive. But I and this is I, I did think this team would take a step this year, and now I really have to wonder if that's going to happen. And yet I have un, unanswered questions, like like you said, because this is kind of what they do. You know, it none of their hopes are really dashed unless you thought they might be a playoff team, which which I didn't. They they could still make some noise in the Big Twelve, especially the way the Big Twelves look. For sure. <clears throat> the here's the other question that I want to throw at you before we move on from the Iowa State ULL. Actually, I got two. First one is: Is there any chance Billy Napier is not the coach at South Carolina the next year? Ooh. So South Carolina president last year when Florida State was firing Taggart uh, made comments that South Carolina had reached out to Florida State to discuss how they financed the buyout. So that's not really a vote of confidence. <laughs> uh, but then they said, no, we're just you know, we're just talking, of course. Just curious. I, I think the fit is interesting. Um, is South Carolina at do you consider Napier a Saban guy? I consider him. I actually consider him more of a Dabo guy than a Saban guy, but he's. I mean, he's got both of them. Right. But I, I, I would. I think he falls closer within the Dabo uh, prototype mo than Saban. When's the last time a Sun Belt guy, a, a Sun Belt coach, has gone to an SEC job? Like we see it from the AAC. We we. we you know, you could get a Mountain West guy just because those leagues are typically considered a, a step up, right? That This is an interesting question for sure. I, I think the fit is obviously there. Uh, he is a dude who likes offense, which I'm pretty sure South Carolina is not going to go with another defensive head coach after the experience, experience they've they've had. And, and Will Muschamp still has a job, obviously. So, you know, we're, we're kind of kind of pre uh, you know, determining this, but I think it's a decent fit, assuming he wants to get in, into the SEC at some point. And yet, man, I look at South Carolina. That, that's a tough job. Like that's to me, that's kind of a one contract job. You know, I I've, I think he I think he I don't think he wants the SEC West though. Like no, I think he's I, been in the SEC West. Yeah. I think he knows how hard that mountain is to climb. I think I think given that he's from South Carolina. He's uh, actually, I don't even know for sure if he's from, he's born in South Carolina, but he did, he went to Furman, which is in South Carolina. He obviously coached at Clemson. Um, I think that if, I think it fits in a lot of ways. Um, and, uh, and SEC East is a little bit more of a more, a little, little cushion, cushier gig, I think, than the West. I, I just, if that job opened up, it's just hard for me to envision him not being number one on their list. I, I think that's it's hard for me to envision him not saying yes to that. All right. So your second question was. So like, where, where do you fall in the Brock Purdy stuff? Like, is he a first round pick? Is he, is this a, is this a, just a, Oh, like he didn't have receivers this year or, Oh, he caught a bad night or like, I, I I've I've always look I've always definitely been, felt like Brock Purdy was really good and I don't want to I don't want to be reactionary to this bad performance this weekend but I I have also been a little bit like 
I've also scratched my head a little bit at the idea that he's like this first round pick guy. Um, and maybe I'm, maybe I'm sort of, um, penalizing him for me seeing him on some nothing team at the Vegas seven on seven pylon event where he won the whole event. And I was like, who's that? That's a scrappy little kid doing pretty good stuff there. Good luck guy. (laughs) Then he goes on to be like the stud. Um, but I I think one of those seven on teams, it's like they're really good at seven on because they practice together since age seven. And uh, yeah, I think, I think, I think he actually played with like his literally his high school team. Like it wasn't even an all-star team. I think he was like, so it was just like they're running their offense. Um, so I just don't know. Like, I'm, I'm just curious if, if where you stand on Brock Purdy. I've certainly, uh, if I wasn't already high on Brock Purdy, this game did not elevate him (laughs) into the first round. Uh, for me, but he he does have this kind of place in my mind where I just I watch him, you know, in sort of that like eight p.m. hour on a Saturday. I'm like, this guy is having to do a lot him, himself. I mean, I, part of the reason why I think Iowa State's sack rate last year was so was so low is because he's extremely good at moving in the pocket and escaping pressure uh, while keeping his eyes downfield and, yeah. and, and throwing. He, he's not just like like an escape and scramble guy. Uh, and I was watching Joe Burrow today for Cincinnati, who yeah, he had some good moments. And just it kind of stuck out to me. It's like, man, one of the things all these NFL quarterbacks do well, the ones that stick, they they, they slide in the pocket well. Like they they don't they don't just you know bail for a sign of pressure. They they move around. And I I'm high on Purdy, but I, I don't think he's like a guaranteed first rounder. Um, but certainly the uh, yeah, and I, I don't well, want to sound like I'm bashing him because I do think he's good. I just. I, I just like I've never I've never left a, a Brock Purdy game and been like, oh my god, the talent, the talent losing out fair. of him. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I mean, he could be one of those guys we look back at and say, oh, maybe a better college guy than a pro. Yeah, or yeah, yeah, or or he could be like if he's a pro, he's going to be one of these pros that if people are that's just a, um, you know, a Tom Brady ish like a, like not that like the. The the in the instincts are what makes him good as opposed to the the pure like raw ability. Obviously, I'm not saying he's the next Tom Brady. Just. I was I was well, <laughs> maybe he's like like 2020 Tom Brady who you know, right. was, was just okay today. Right. I, uh, I think you're up. Uh, I I do have a fun one uh, as well on my mind. Okay, but go okay ahead. so I think all right. Let me go with this one. Right, so so we'll go Clemson Wake. I don't think that's the game you got a lot of eyes on, but I, I my my biggest question, I think I can't remember. I think I might've said this on our pod. We were talking game by game, but one of my big questions about Clemson going into the, the weekend was the receivers and is, is, you know, with T Higgins gone, Justin Ross gone, uh, you know, no uh, Hunter Renfro, Adam Humphreys, like who's, who are going to be the guys for Trevor Lawrence. I don't think we answered that question on the outside. I don't think, that Frank Ladson and Joseph and Gata and those guys did enough to where we're like, yep, yep, next guy up, got it. But on the flip side, I felt like Amari Rogers looked like a guy that was ready to break out. And just he looked in the slot, that looked like someone that has been, and he was injured, he's been injured. He's, you know, he certainly has been, was chopping at the bit. And and you could tell, and I just I think that maybe if Amari Rogers is can can be a a go to player in the in the slot, um, 
that maybe that's their that's the that's their their Trevor Lawrence's safety valve this year, as opposed to just those back shoulder fades or those seam routes. Like uh, Amari Rogers got a chance, to, I think, pretty be be pretty special in that offense. I think back to this time last year, Barton, and one of the things that I that I was trying to hone in on was why was Trevor Lawrence quote unquote struggling in his first in the first month of the 2019 season, and what what I found, or I mean, at least in my opinion, was that they were not able to threaten the middle of the field very well with the pass games. You could play more more bracket stuff on the outside. You, you could play two trap. And if you recall, they had lost was it Renfro, I think, to the league. Mm-hmm. And Amari Rogers was coming off some type of surgery. I think it was ACL. He, yeah. And he was kind of available, but he wasn't really available. And he yeah, he was like he like back. recovered from an ACL in like four months. And I was like, yeah, Amari Rogers is back. It's like, are you like, sure? Really? <laughs> yeah. So uh, you know, as, as the season wore on, he, like they, they got better as far as throwing the ball in the middle of the field. Obviously, they, they were you know really good team. Um, I think that's encouraging that they have him. If you have if you have him, their tight end play is is maybe not a strength. Like they Clemson had some pretty good tight end play for for a couple of years in a row, and then last year I don't think it was anything all that special. You know, this year we'll, we'll have to see how that shapes up. But with that amount of talent on the outside, they're still going to miss Ross. Clearly, with, with with that unfortunate injury, but I, I have to think that one of those dudes can, can step up and, and be a real go to guy for them, and it might not really matter in the ACC. It might only matter if you get to the playoff because I do think Clemson's defense is going to be back to what they were in that kind of sixteen, seventeen, eighteen range. Man, there's some those freshmen up front. <laughs> I tell you, hey. The, you know, th- this has been something that has been just sort of, um, it's been been sort of laced in Clemson stories here and there was the idea that, you know, because Dabo Sweeney said, he's saying like, this is our best freshman class ever. And, um, and you know, the commentators are like, oh my goodness, like this is their, like, did you, like, can you believe it? Dabo's saying that of all their classes, like this is their best one they've ever had. And it's like, well, it, it's, it's ranked significantly higher than any class they've ever had. So it's really like that, that should be the expectation for all of us, for us in this industry, at least is this is the best class that like, we got to keep on reminding ourselves of that. Like of all the success they've had, they've never had a class ranked like this. And so there really is an element of, man, what are we in for here? Like Clemson might just be getting started. There's no doubt. Uh, I, Barton, they were fractions of a point from being the highest rated defensive line recruiting class in the history of recruiting rankings. Like run it all the way back to like 98 or, or whatever our database goes back to. Like I, when, when I got those guys to send me that data pull over the summer, I was looking at this. I was like, damn, they are really close. I, I think it was that Florida Ronald Powell uh, mm-hmm. year where, where they had like – but. Clemson is right easy in those guys. Yeah, and, and Sharif Floyd, I think, was the dude that got out, out, of, so. uh, out of Philly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, they're they're scary good. I, so you got eyes on this more, more more than I did. I'm also curious about Wake. Is like my thought going into this game, and I looked at what we said. You, you were you were wondering about the Clemson receivers. I was wondering like is is Wake the favorite to be the the basement team in the ACC this year? We're did anything they did impress you? Yeah, they covered. That impressed me. There you go. <laughs> I mean, seriously, like they they kept battling. They they you know they didn't. The dam never broke. I mean, Clemson was you know it was a twenty 
seven point lead at halftime or something, but Clemson I'd wait, kept battling. Um, you know, I think Sam Hartman is, is a quality quarterback. I, I just, I don't think you can measure them with, with what they did against Clemson. And they're certainly, they didn't, they cover, you know, like they didn't, they didn't, um, they didn't underwhelm to the extent where like, I think I'm not sure where they are anymore. I'm not sure what the what wake is anymore that yeah, they could still, they could, they could be at the seller, but I mean, they weren't worse than Syracuse. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's there. We'll see what BC looks like this weekend. Uh, Duke, Duke, we talked about them. Like they, they look competent, but um, no, I thought, I thought wake was, I thought they handled themselves. Um, okay. I mean, they, they, they got through it. All right, so let's go ahead and go from one ACC game to another. Syracuse 6, North Carolina 31. And I, from a moving the ball standpoint, I, I, I did get to watch a good bit of this. From actually moving the ball and stopping the opponent from moving the ball, Syracuse got its ass kicked. The first 61 plays of the game, North Carolina had 447 yards. Syracuse had 153. I mean, that's... That's kind of your 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 yo stat right there, but two turnovers, you know, picks by Sam Howell. They fumbled a was it they fumbled a punt? I'm trying to, yeah, they they fumbled a punt. Uh, so that Syracuse had had three possessions, you know, fairly deep in North Carolina territory and couldn't do anything with it. Man, you're talking about this Syracuse team. I think is probably the the worst team in the ACC, pending seeing Boston College. Uh, Bartonet had 14 drives in this game. 10 times out of 14, they failed to get 10 yards on the drive. That's And that's against a North Carolina defense that I think we thought could be improved, but is certainly not like good or, or great, right? And they don't have a lot of depth. And they were just mauling that Syracuse offensive line. North Carolina had seven sacks, probably close to 20 quarterback hits. DeVito was 13 of 31 for a buck 12. I mean, I feel bad for them. I, I, they don't have it. Like, like if, if I have to pick an ACC team that's going to quit and just say, nah, you know what, we're good with the COVID stuff, it's them. Yeah, especially because they weren't, they didn't seem like that stoked to be playing the season anyways. And that's not, a, that's not meant as a judgment on them, but like it's just, it's just a reality. Um, you know, that's, that's kind of what they've, what they've been, been into uh like they, they've been they've, they've not they've had some practice disruptions they've had some guys that were a little uncomfortable going out they've had some opt-outs like um i'm just looking so like passing offense 2016 dino's first year they were 11th in the country 18th in 2017 uh 31st in 2018 and 59th in 2019 and I bet you they're lower than that in 2020. Well, I don't know if they'll be lower. And that's than hard that, to do. Only like teams. 75. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Like I don't know, but I do. I think what we're seeing, and I don't even necessarily think that this is like, oh, Dino's getting exposed as the as the average coach that he is. I think that I think that this is Syracuse is getting exposed as the difficult place to win that it is like every, every year he's there is one additional year where he's got to try to figure out a way to recruit there. He's got to try to figure out a way to get a quarterback there. He's got like, he, he inherited Eric Dungy. So when he's got a quarterback, every step of his 
career when he's had a quarterback and you know some of those guys were guys that he he developed some of those guys were guys that he inherited but either way when he's got a quarterback he's good and right now they don't have a quarterback and we actually thought when Tommy DeVito committed to Syracuse as an industry we thought that was a pretty good get he was he's got he had a big arm he was uh productive he just but it, it just that hadn't been it right now and so I just think Syracuse is a hard place to win. I really do. I, I, and um, I think Dino is finding that out right now. Barton, on the broadcast, they were talking about how one of their starting guards had to switch numbers in the preseason because they, he got moved to offensive line. And last year, he was like a fullback slash DN. Yeah. I mean, this is like, th- that's, this is some weird, weird stuff that would probably not happen but for COVID. I completely agree with you that Syracuse is, is much harder of a place. I think that people realize to win. And it's also a place where if you end up having a problem with one of your positions, it can take longer to dig out from, you know, because like you, you can't in theory, just go get a bunch of guys who are really good to fix it early in their careers. Um, that they, they can't afford offensive line injuries. They already had one going into the game and, and Syracuse looks like, I mean, who knows, maybe they'll improve. I know they didn't have as many practices as some other teams did. They might be the worst team in the ACC, man. Like that. Pop quiz. Crazy. When was the what? What was their how many yards they had passing? One hundred twelve from Devito. I I I took out the uh, the back. Okay, so they actually had one hundred thirty four total. Okay, so the last time they had that poor of a passing performance. Um, any uh, any any guesses? Anything come to mind? Can you think of anything? Uh, not that you should. It, it happened last year. They, I was going to say they did have a stinker last year. So, but here's the deal: they threw for a hundred. I don't even remember this game. I, I certainly didn't watch it. But they threw for uh, third to last game of the year. Oh, NC State? No, oh. they 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 threw for Tommy DeVito, or I don't know. I assume it was Tommy DeVito. It was seven of sixteen for. 109 yards and two touchdowns and no interceptions and they won against Duke 49 to 6. So, there you go. Maybe wow. they just need to, maybe they need to devote, you know, commit to the run game. Yeah. Which is kind uh, of hard to do note, when their top two backs are out. 38 <laughs> yards total from the backs on 19 carries. That's a, that's a solid 2.0 there, man. I went to Florida State and not Yale, but like 2, 2.0 average is not uh Really not going to get it done there on 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 the side of the backs, man. I I feel bad for those guys. It, it but yeah, that's that's brutal. I'll say quickly on uh, Notre Dame or on uh, North Carolina. I think that the the maybe most important move Mac Brown has made since his arrival there, maybe with the exception of probably with the exception of the commitment of Sam Howell. That might be number one. Um, but so maybe number two or one B would be uh, Jay Bateman as his defense coordinator going and getting him from, uh, where was he, Navy or yeah, Army? Uh, uh, Army. He was Army, yeah. Um, getting Jay Bateman is, is, I think, I mean, that that defense is, they look pretty good. You know, maybe maybe Syracuse is just that bad, but I think they're pretty talented. They've got some players, and they've, you know, they played good defense last year too. So I, I think that that's a, that's a unit that's going to give their offense a chance every week. So I... I know a lot about North Carolina this year because UNC is one of the tier one podcasts that's assigned to me in our podcast edit program. So I listened literally like over the course of the last couple of weeks, I listened to every single one of their 
season preview episodes on the Inside Carolina podcast. If they stay healthy up front, I think North Carolina has a pretty good chance to make a big leap defensively this year. If they don't, things could get scary. Like that was kind of one of my takeaways I wrote down. I was like, all right, UNC's got some dudes in the starting ranks, and then it gets real dicey after that. So I'm definitely going to be checking that Carolina injury report every week before I lay money down on them. That's good. Um, that's good podcast cross promotion there, bud. I need to, that. that. That's a good reminder. It's you know, this is actually a, this legitimately is a really good time of year when, especially if you like to gamble, um, maybe maybe poke around the twenty four seven network and listen to these podcasts because you get some good information. I, I, I've that's something I try to do too. By the way, I was really excited to actually bet UNC this coming week because you know I think they outplayed Syracuse by much more than the score would indicate and. Um, they hung a 26 and a half for UNC against Charlotte. And I'm really not convinced that Syracuse is better than Charlotte. And I'm like, eh, I, I don't know. I'm not in a huge rush to, to lay, uh, to like 26 and a half against a team Charlotte that can score. I, I'll tell you this. Yeah. Charlotte is at least going to like, they're, they're going to keep on scrapping and trying to kick in that back door to the last minute. So that's, that's a scary team to, to lay that much against. I did lay 26 with Notre Dame against USF this afternoon when it came out. I guess USF. I, know, I, I I think long term Jeff I Scott. I didn't yeah. watch much of them. Yeah, they they were they were struggle busting a little bit. Yeah. All right. After this quick ad break, we'll jump back in with more of our observations and conclusions from this weekend's games. This is Tony Kornheiser show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm. I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball and baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does. <laughs> Nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are, number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen. Okay, so speaking of struggle bus, Barton, I, I got a question for you. Mm-hmm. If you, if you were if you're the odds maker, I say, hey, like Kansas just scheduled a game against UTEP. All right, we <laughs> we, we, we we could hit both these games in, in, in one question. How many points are you setting this line for? Assuming that, I mean, you tell me who's favored. I, I knew who I'd favor. How many I points think, <laughs> is this line, Kansas I, UTEP? I, I I still think Kansas is a double digit favorite. I agree. Uh, um, I, the, here is the way I was going to spin the the Kansas deal because all right, so they year two or less miles setting setting the stage here. Year two or less miles. They week one last year. Obviously, they played Coastal Carolina. They lost twelve seven, I think, or twelve eight or something weird. Um. Whatever. Okay. First game of the tenure. And then as the season progresses, like they, they showed some signs of life. Brent Deerman took over as the offensive coordinator. They played some teams close. They pulled an upset. Like, so 
all right. So then you, you go on, you know, off season, COVID pandemic, whatever, like obstacles, obstacles, but we're back and coastal Carolina again. And this is still a Sunbelt team. You're still a big 12 team. You lost to them last year. You know, there, if, if we are to think that you can make strides in the off season, that you can be a program builder and improve and that you should be able to improve by bigger steps and, and bounds than a Sunbelt team. I don't think it's unreasonable to have expected Kansas, even though they lost to Coastal last year, should win this game. When instead, they get beat worse. And it was like not even that competitive for most of the game. I love you saw Slack last night. Trey Scott was like, oh, I got to stay up and watch this. It's 28 nothing, and Coastal is an option team. They are not losing this. Go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> like, right. So my question for you is, we know, how, we know that this is bad. We know that this is ridiculous. We know that this is like inexcusable. What is there? What is, can you find a, can you find positives in this? I, in can some you spin ways, this in a positive way? I, I think in some ways you can. Like Kansas is kind of a young team this year. And they do, like you pointed this out in the last podcast, and it made me all the happier to be betting coastal because you, 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 you looked how many freshmen they had in their two deep, specifically in the front seven. I said, this is great. Coastal is an option team. I mean, they're, they're kind of a non-traditional option team, but they're an option team. And one of my guiding principles this year is that okay is better than okay. If you can be okay, if you can just kind of have your stuff together, that's a pretty big advantage in the COVID year. Like if you just have your stuff together, if you know what you're doing, like you don't even have to be good. That can be kind of a boost and advantage because there's a lot of teams out there that probably won't have their stuff together. I think Kansas was one of those. But given the youth that they have, given that we have seen an uptick in their recruiting, they the reason, and I agree with you, I would favor them by probably close to two touchdowns over UTEP is because they at least have some dudes on offense who can be explosive players. They just they played an experienced coastal team that brought back a lot of starters off last year's team, especially on offense that runs kind of a, a unique, you know, kind of shotgun spread option thing. And it's not just like spread option and name. Like they actually run a lot of option principles. And they got blitzed with, with, with some turnovers too early on. Like Kansas was not doing themselves any favors. They, they had two turnovers in their own zone uh, in, on back-to-back possessions, in, I think, in the first quarter. I was like, oh, this is, this is not going to go well. Because uh, then it, it, it kind of took, you know, KU out of their, out of their the want to run. Or, you know, they, they had to start throwing the ball around a lot. So, um. I think there are some positives to, to be taken there. Sticking on the Trey Scott theme, I don't know any positives on UTEP. Luke uh, jumps in to, to Slack, our, our, our managing editor, and says, hey, why is this Texas profile blowing up? And I don't even think Trey knew who this dude was. And his guy, guy's name was K-Money or Kai money or something like that. Were you around I'm, for this? Okay. Yeah, K-Money. Yeah, yeah. The guy's like, I, it, I mean, he, I guess he played, he was a dual-threat quarterback and High school, he's a walk on for Texas, and and Texas is like dropping walk on touchdowns on these dudes. <laughs> walk ons like down the roster enough that we don't even know who they are in the first half. I, man, UTEP is is I called them a zoom out team because you got to zoom out when you make a graph of everybody's like strengths and weaknesses, and they're just so far out in their own island. Texas could have scored a hundred easily. It was forty five nothing with like a couple minutes left in in, in the first half. 
I made that. I made that uh, minus forty three money on that one. I'll give. I'll give. I'll give Trey Scott another shout out. He was the first one to kind of hit me to that line. I was like, oh yeah, oh yeah, forty three. Oh yeah, like what's the score? <laughs> what's the score going to be? How are they going to keep this within that? UTEP's the worst team in college football, and and so it is. It is what it is. Um, so I think staying in Texas. All right. Oh man, I, I know where you're going with this, and I'm 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 excited. If if Bailey Zappi threw of of Houston Baptist threw for 567 yards and four touchdowns with zero interceptions against Texas Tech, what the hell is Sam Ellinger and Spencer Rattler going to do against that defense? Oh, okay. So first of all, and and we're not going to spend too long on on this part, but Houston Baptist can score. They I talked to some of my guys who I know bet FCS pretty heavily before last week's game against North Texas. And they're like, look, Houston Baptist will score on North, on North Texas, especially because North Texas, is, you know, their pass defense is not very good. And it was really bad last year. If you got, if you remember when they lost all their corners to injury and they're playing like safeties at corner and, you know, it was just kind of a disaster. But like, this is not good to, to beat Houston Baptist by two points. This is kind of red flag territory for me. A little bit, because um, it, it wasn't like Houston Baptist was like just dinking and dunking them, right? It was 572 yards on 51 attempts. Martin, like he's over 10 yards in attempt. Houston Baptist, that that was that, that's concerning. And you know, I notes, uh, I know Texas Tech, they they had a turnover, whatever, blah blah blah. They do have a lot of new players on defense who are just being integrated into their system. So I, I'm kind of reserving my judgment a little bit on Texas Tech. When we did our big our Big 12 preview, we put Kansas in in the like the low class, you know, and we put we put everybody else in the middle class with the exception of Oklahoma, Iowa State, Texas, Oklahoma State, I think, right? And Iowa State was kind of our border team there. I'm not totally ready to put Texas Tech down there with Kansas. But man, if they don't get stuff cha- like changed around in a hurry, who, who do they have next on their schedule? Like the the, the, the timing of the schedule is going to matter. I don't know. While you're looking at that up, though, I, I agree with your point. Like they have all these. Um, that was one of my big depth chart observations with Texas Tech is they had all these these new starters that aren't true freshmen or new like they're they're transfers. So they they pull these transfers in. I'm just thinking like. What if they didn't have these guys? Like, who's going to start instead of these guys? Yeah. Who did they? Who did they? Be, who did they beat out? Uh, that's that's fair. Yeah, um, I have some bad news. Yeah, you know who's next on the schedule? Who? Ellinger. Oh man. Yeah. So we're about to find out. And then they, get, then they get Kansas State, and then they get Brock Purdy, who's going to want to kind of up his numbers after this terrible performance against Lafayette or Louisiana, and then West Virginia and Oklahoma. So in the first five weeks of big 12 play they're going to get sam ellinger and rattler and purdy <laughs> i kind of want to set like a google calendar alert to remind myself to bet on on texas tech in the month of november because i think eventually they could improve or at least they'll improve by not facing you know rattler ellinger and purdy but this could be a rough month so can i can i make this point on houston baptist though like your like your FCS gurus said, like they score a lot of points. This is not this is not like a 
bum ass FCS team that can't score. I I thought it was really interesting too. Their offensive coordinator is a guy named Zach Kitley. And he is he's 29 years old. This is his third year. And you know where he came, you know where he was before he took the offensive coordinator job at Houston Baptist? Texas he was Tech. At, he was at Texas Tech. He was there for like uh let me see. From 2013 to 2017, he was there um, spending most of that time under Kingsbury and was literally like a, I think he went to like Abilene Christian or somewhere like that as like a basketball player. Um, And just, and he, uh, his dad was like an all-time great coach at Texas Tech and track. And he was just like living in Lubbock or something, maybe transferred to Lubbock, maybe went to school there and just decided to be a student assistant and just got in there and uh has and just you know learned the system and so i I, he'll be an interesting one to track like uh in in terms of just like what's to come someone that needs an air raid offense they may be looking down to houston baptist to get it i'm i'm all about that so i I, one last question on this game because i i didn't get to actually watch much of this i mean Texas Tech had about 630 yards of offense and 35 points. Like if you score six, if you have 630 yards of offense, unless you have a bunch of turnovers and they only had one turnover, what the hell was happening? Like, like I would expect you to score in the 50s if you have 630 yards of offense and one turnover. Like what? Did you get eyeballs on this? Because I'm, I'm really curious now what happened here. I actually didn't watch any of it. I will say, though, that Texas Tech is one of these teams that we saw a couple of like, oh, 25 guys are out with COVID. Um, right. How are they practicing type of deal? So they could be a little bit getting their bearings right now. So maybe maybe we'll give them that benefit of the doubt. 13 um, penalties committed, probably not, not the yeah, best. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we'll see. We'll see. But they, get, they better get, get it uh, tightened up here with, with Texas coming up. I think we got time for what one more observation maybe two yeah we can do yeah maybe a couple quick ones so all right quick one um something that i'm not sure if i've said because it felt so hyperbolic but now that he's actually made a few throws i think i can say it i mean people what, what once people see spencer rattler they will uh realize that this is true that he is the most talented quarterback lincoln Riley's had that doesn't mean he's the best I'm not saying he's going to be the first number one pick in the draft. I mean, he's going to win Heisman, but he is the most talented, complete passer Lincoln Riley has had. Now, Lincoln Riley tends to make these guys pretty successful. So it also means he could be the Heisman. He could be the number one pick. Like he's that good, but I don't think it's even that controversial of a statement to say that. Um, So, you know, if you haven't, if you hadn't seen Spencer Rattler yet, like that's look forward to checking it out. I think that's that's very fair, man. Um, he's I remember being at the Elite Eleven the year that he was there with with a couple other guys, and, and thinking that the class compared at the top compared to the prior year's class was a bit underwhelming, right? Because the prior year's class was Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, and a couple other dudes we also liked, and thinking the one guy talent-wise, who's kind of close to those dudes is Rattler. Mm-hmm. And that, look, Missouri State was terrible, but that was pretty impressive. Like, I, I was watching the highlights on Twitter, and Marcelo was tweeting, like, hey, this guy is absolutely ridiculous. And, and he was right. 
Like that, he's he's really good, man. I mean, we'll have to see what he does against better competition, but I, I have no doubt that he's going to put up a lot of points. And that was one of our our preseason questions on Oklahoma. Like, can they just continue to outscore everybody? Because if they can, they'll be fine, and it won't matter how many guys are out for their defense. They'll just score, score, score. I should make. I probably should make one clarification. Most talented arm, because yeah. you could. I think Kyler Murray's athleticism, like that's top that's ten figure the A's for his outfield range. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's pretty special. So the clarification I'll make is um, Spencer Rattler has the most. He he has the best arm talent. Spencer Rattler. Let me let me start my my statement. Spencer Rattler has the best arm talent of any quarterback Lincoln Riley has coached. There you go. Feel good about that. I agree there. I want to give two shout-outs to, uh, to end the show. First, uh, Tulane's defensive staff. Uh, had a buddy of mine who's, who's uh, uh, in coaching. I don't know if he wants to. Well, he, he put it on Twitter. So it, it's, it's Cam on Twitter. I retweeted him last night. He basically pointed out that he thought Tulane uh, had South Alabama's uh, protections down pat like after, after you know, about three quarters. And then after he tweeted that, uh, Tulane held them to negative one yards on the next three drives combined in a, in a major comeback win. So nice job of coaching adjustments there. Tulane Green Wave coming back over South Alabama. And shout out to Arkansas State receivers for uh, catching the balls that they dropped against Memphis. Like Those dudes balled out, man. Like We, we talked about this last week. It was like They were open. Memphis had guys open in the secondary, and Arkansas State dropped those balls. They actually dropped a couple against Kansas State too. Did like they, they really add more? Yeah, oh, I, I, I saw the highlights. I saw the crazy good catches. I, no, they they, I mean, they, they, they balled out too. Like they they made up for it, especially the Jay Adams dude. Uh, I think Keith Heckendorf. Like spoiler for I don't know when this is going out. Like from my coaches of the weeks piece, I think I'm going to make Keith Heckendorf the offensive coordinator for Arkansas State my my OC of the week because I I mean he he had a he had a pretty airtight game plan for Kansas state and, I, and Arkansas state was a better team. I mean, they just were, um, they had a, they had a practice game before that one. Um, so, you know, I guess they had an advantage, but they also had a bunch of dudes out for COVID related reasons. And so, um, I mean, they just, they just went out there and flat out won. So, uh, I, I thought that was a really impressive, um, offensive performance. Are you worried that Kansas State is potentially in, the, in that Kansas range, or, or are you still pretty confident that? No, they're, I don't think they're, they're in the Kansas them. range. I okay. think that they're. I mean, but like I, I put them ninth in my preseason um, power rankings, and you know that's. I got you know Kansas State fans weren't happy about that, and oh, they, no, they, <laughs> you know, but this is but but I said that I think I said this on this pod. I think it's like, who do you put ninth? And right. and it and I mean they're all ninth through five are all pretty much right there next to each other. So anyone you put ninth is going to look weird there. Um, you know, I, I think I, so I, I still don't know who's ninth. I mean, Kansas state isn't great, but they may still might not be ninth. Texas tech might be, might be ninth. Um, you know, I mean, we'll see what TCU looks like next week. Who knows? Um, so it's, uh, I, man, I mean, big 12, they got, they got a lot of figuring out to do. You know what we forgot to do? Ad break. Ad break. Sorry. Tiny can be creative, can he?